Welcome back to Dear Skyler, where I talk to all kinds of amazing people about topics that I'm asked about as a trans activist and educator, things like mental health, race, sports, sexuality, gender, boundaries, and so many things in between and beyond. I've spent the better part of the last decade sharing my story with anybody who will listen pretty much, trying to educate about trans people. And as I have done this, I've come into contact with a lot of other people who have also spent a lot of years and time sharing their stories. And so today we'll be addressing the following question. How can sharing your story, in this case, particularly as a trans person, how can sharing your story help others feel less alone? To discuss this, I spoke with my friend and musician and one of the first trans people I discovered way back when I was coming out, Ryan Casada. Ryan, I'm super stoked to have you here on the podcast. I would love if we could just start out, you know, I, I know you, I've known your work for a while, um, and uh, maybe many of our listeners do too, but for anybody who doesn't, could you give us name and pronouns and then a bit about who you are? Sure. My name is Ryan Casada. I use he, him pronouns, and I am a singer-songwriter and transgender activist, and I have been out since I was uh, around 12 years old. I started my coming out process, so I've been out for, for a long time now, and um, I enjoy playing shows and doing educational speeches and sharing my experience, and definitely just hanging out with friends and my fiance and my dog, of course. So mm. I've seen all of those things online and it's, I feel very lucky to like be able to witness a lot of your joy. I feel like you sh have shared a lot of your joy recently, especially with you, you mentioned your fiance. And I remember watching um, the, the video about him proposing to you. And I was like, I was bawling when I watched oh that. My God. Um, I really was. I like, I, I can't tell you like trans, trans, like love, trans joy. I think also having known backstories of like, when I know trans people have had struggles in which most of us have in finding like good relationships, it's like that much more joyful to watch the, the, yeah. um, the love. So yeah, I just, I was grateful for you sharing that. Um, so I know I, I want to start with asking a question about your experience being out. You mentioned you came out when you were 12 and that's actually one of the first things I wanted to ask you about. Um, I remember seeing you, you had like several interviews when you're, you're pretty young on TV. Um, mm -hmm. How did, how did that happen? Could you give us a little backstory? What was it like? Uh, take us through that, that time period in your life when you were first coming out and, and then immediately became a public figure. Sure. Yeah. So uh, when I was 12 and 13, I, I was, I had just come out and I started like already in school, I was getting bullied really badly mm. and that bullying basically led to a mental health crisis where I, um, I was suicidal. I was super depressed all of the time. I also didn't know anyone else like me at all. Like I came out as bisexual when I was 12, didn't know any other bisexual people or queer people. Um, and that isolation combined with the bullying and then not a lot of acceptance from my family it just led to like really dark feelings that are as a, as a kid, you know, I was a kid and the eventually it all came to a tipping point and my school counselor intervened. And luckily there was an LGBT center in my town that was like a 15 minute walk from my house. And I had no idea. And it was the only one within like, 
like a two hour radius of my house and it happened to be in my hometown. And they sent me to that center and I just got involved right away and I joined the safe schools team and I started making a bunch of like LGBTQ friends there. I met the first trans person I ever met there, realized that I was trans and it was just something that I, I didn't have the words to express. Um, but I've always, I've always been this like same person and uh, I joined the safe schools team and th that team taught me how to speak and educated me on all of the words mm. that I didn't know. And I, I was able to educate other people that also didn't know. And from there is how I went on the Larry King live show and the Tyra Banks mm -hmm. show. And I was 15 years old when I, when I went on Larry King and I think Tyra Banks taped when I was 16, but it aired when I was 17. So uh, still, still pretty young to be doing all that stuff, but how did it, I, I'm just curious, how did you get from, you know, working with the safe, safe team? I want to say safe sport because that's something we have in, in sports stuff, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> the safe team stuff. Um, and, and just like barely learning about your own identity. It sounds like to then sharing about it on these, you know, nationally televised shows. W walk me through that jump. Yeah. The safe schools team was a team of activists and we mostly went into schools, on Long Island where I'm from and then sometimes we'd go to the city in New Jersey and then we started going to conventions and speaking and once I started going to those uh, conventions and conferences that were LGBTQ themed I um, other colleges and high schools started seeing me and inviting me to speak and then eventually like press coverage so everything happened like really naturally I wasn't trying to do any of this um, I was literally just trying to survive school and um, th that being on that team really uh, saved my life, really. And being at that center, uh, I was there like almost five days a week. Um, sometimes I was there five days a week. So, <laughs> yeah, so that that was just like my home away from home and it was my safe haven. And that got me into my activism and I was able to use those things that I was learning at the safe schools team with from LGBTQ counselors and apply them in school because at school now I'm, I'm not allowed to use the bathroom. I'm not allowed to change for gym, but they are going to like fail me out of gym class if I don't come in gym clothes and um, they don't want me using my name. And it, it's just this whole thing where I, become an activist super young because that's the only option that mm -hmm. I have. Um, so now I'm like 14 years old with petitions in my hallway, just trying to be able to use the bathroom, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that, Ryan. And what, what it's making me think of, honestly, is not only the, the political climate of the country now, where unfortunately we're having the same conversations more than a, I think a decade later, right? You're, you're, I think you're a little older than me. So um, how old are you actually? I'm 29. 29. Okay, cool. So you're two years, you're two years older than me. So yeah, more than a decade ago, we're having the same conversations now where kids are also still fighting to be able to use the bathroom, to be able to play sports, to be able to not be outed at school and, you know, not be bullied at school and so on. Um, 
I'm remembering my own experience as well. You mentioned bathrooms. Bathrooms were so stressful for me as a kid. Uh, for interestingly, I think a, a flipped reason, which is that because I presented myself in a very boyish way, I was thrown out of the the girls' bathroom all the time, even though I was quote supposed to be in the girls' bathroom. And I remember being so afraid to use the bathroom. And it sounds like you had a similar experience where uh, you were struggling with the bathrooms as well. Such a basic human experience. I'm wondering, as you were uh, becoming more public, if you remember what it felt like the first time you realized you had the power to be an advocate and what it was like to be an activist that young. Um, I'm thinking about kids needing to be kids. And, and you know, like you said, you're out there trying to have a petition to even be able to pee in peace. What do you, what do you remember about that time and, and how you felt? Yeah, I think the first time that I, I did a public speech, I was... Um, they asked me, the LGBT Center on Long Island asked me to be the keynote speaker at this um, event that they were having on Long Island. And they wanted me to talk about how the LGBT Center had saved my life and why, basically why should people donate mm -hmm. to the LGBT <laughs> Center? And they definitely should. Um, <laughs> and I, I, wrote, I was 13 years old. Um, I'd never made a public speech before. And I like wrote my speech on like with pencil on a loose leaf <laughs> piece of paper, I made my speech and like people were crying and just like applauding. And that was the first time like uh, a magazine had interviewed me. It was Go Magazine. And um, and then, yeah, everything just like went from there. But I, I when I spoke and I like got on the stage and I spoke, I felt supported which led to me feeling empowered. Like, okay, I have this like part of my life that was really dark because coming out was so hard and I wasn't accepted. But now like all of this is worth it because I am, I can help other people. And then I go on the Larry King live show and I'm still feeling really all alone. And this is like 15 years ago almost. Um, and at this point, I don't know not one other trans person my age, not one, not in the entire world, not online, nowhere. There's not one person that that I that I saw that I could see myself in. And I go on Larry King and that and that episode airs and my P.O. box just like exploded with letters from people all over the world. And some of them were younger than me and some of them were the same age as me. And I realized like, okay, like I'm not alone. Um, there's other people having the same experience as me and it's okay. Can you tell, that's so powerful. Can you tell me about, a, are there any specific emails that stand out to you or, or, or notes, mail, whatever you received? Are there any ones that, that stand out to you you'd be comfortable sharing with us? Yeah, I remember one, uh, like one that said, before I saw you on Larry King, I thought I was the only one. Mm. And like, before I went on Larry King, I thought I was the only one. So I was <laughs> like, okay, like, you know, none of us are the only one. Mm. And um, other people that, that said, you know, your appearance on Larry King saved my life. It's why I came out. Wow. It's why I realized I am who I am. So yeah, I mean, the messages were so powerful and, Immediately, I felt like, okay, I have a purpose here. And that gave me the will to live because 
I really didn't know, you know, I, I didn't ever see myself becoming a, an adult. Um, and I think that's a common experience for a lot of trans youth. Like, we don't know, like, will we, will we get to be an adult? We can't even picture it because it's so stressful to just be a trans youth. Like I couldn't even see a future for myself at all. Mm. I so deeply resonate with that. I think I had, you know, dreams of things I might want to do in the future, but they were all elusive, right? Because a lot of times it didn't include what I could be in the future. It was like what I could maybe do, but there, there, the concept of my being in the future, my existing, my thriving, my, what would I even look like? You know what I mean? All those things I had no concept of. And, um, and the first time I, it, this actually happened more recently because like you, not only did I feel like I didn't see a a lot of trans people out there, but I didn't see people who who looked like me as like Korean American, as mixed race, as athletes, and all these kinds of things, and, and and also older than me. I wanted to see trans people older than me who were living their lives, and I feel we see so much trans like trauma that we don't actually see people just living their lives. Um, and I was like three or four years ago, I, I I was able to hang out with a trans guy who's older than me. He's like, I think he's in his forties. And I went home and I like, I just bawled. I was so like emotional. And I was like, what is happening? Like, why am I feeling like this? And it wasn't necessarily because he's amazing. He is, but it was more that I was like, I, I, there's even more future for me to see. And I didn't realize that I never thought about, even now as a 27 year old, I didn't think about what it would be like to be a 45 year old, right? Yeah. Um, because that future doesn't feel like it's written for us, which it, it really isn't. Um, mm -hmm. So I know, you know, this is a little bit of a pivot, but I, I feel like it, it stems well from here, which is you, you, you're a songwriter and you write, you write stories through song. Um, at least that's how I, I receive it. Um, and I'm wondering how you, how you got from telling your story on stages, uh, in speeches to, to then music. Um, I, I've listened to your music for a long time. It's one of the first things I found when I was furiously Googling transgender people, transgender, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, I found your music. And so it's one of the uh, amazing things about being able to have you on the, on the podcast um, and, and to call you a, a friend. Um, I'm curious how that shift happened. How did you, uh, obviously you love music, but I'm curious how you ended up changing from, not changing, adding, you know, speaking to, to singing. Yeah, the, the music actually, it came first. I started music when I was six and I started playing shows when I was 12. And then the speaking added to it and the way that they, they came together because at at all of my speeches, besides like maybe a very few amount that I've done, I always play music with my speech. Mm. And that started because uh, this one speech that I I was doing, I like got there and there was like 300 people there. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not like I can't speak, you know. And I was like, you know what, like I'm comfortable like going on stage and playing a song. So I'm just going to go on stage, play a song and then speak because I, it's like I needed to play the song to calm me down to be able to speak and be able to share my message. And that's how they got fused together. And like people loved that I played music. And then after I spoke, they're like, can you play more songs? I was mm -hmm. like, OK. And then I just started just doing it that way from from then on. What's the first um, song you ever wrote that that people can listen to now? That people could listen to now. Um, I have I have some music under, not under Ryan Casada, but under Ryan Casada music, and not a lot of people know about those recordings. But I'm like between ages like twelve to fourteen on them, 
Um, and there's one, probably the first one that was done was distraction. Mm. And it was just about like how I looked different at school and the teachers would complain. And uh. I think seventh grade, I got up in front of my whole school, played it on stage. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's like funny now thinking as an adult, like. Wow. So the song was about how teachers were distracted about how you looked like because of gender specifically? Uh, Yeah, it was very much so a tomboy. And then I like, they were mad that my my hair was always dyed and like I had short hair and it was dyed and um, I had the lip piercing at the time and just like they, they didn't like it. Like the way I, the way that I looked was so different than the way everyone else looked and i think like a lot of that was because i was so androgynous i that sounds really tough to have to deal with the teachers as well as students bullying you and i know what that's like as well i had lots of teachers that were upset that i had short hair or that i looked like a boy and they would get upset with my pronouns and they'd be like cuz i you know i would tell them that i was at the time using she her pronouns and they would get angry they'd be like no you're not or they'd challenge me they'd actually i funny enough people thought that I was a trans girl that i was like trying to claim girlhood oh, wow. um which i was like wow this is so backwards this is like not that is not what i'm trying to do um but anyways i I resonate i resonate with that um of of the songs that you have have written i'm curious if you have a favorite um i know i have i have my favorite especially sort of the 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 message that's in it but um i was i'm curious what your favorite is because as you've done this this development of kind of having your music support you in your advocacy it sounds like it's sort of like almost like a coping mechanism i don't i mean that in like the best positive way it's like how you Mm -hmm. can do the work um, I want to know what's your favorite and why. My favorite song is always the song that I wrote last, just naturally as a songwriter. I think that's the way it is. Like, because I write my songs about what I'm going through. So like after I write a song, there's nothing that I relate to more in the world than that song that I just right. wrote that in that sense. moment. And it's so healing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a one song I, I wrote it when I was 15 love around the world. And I would say that's probably one of my best songs of all time. And it really just goes into system systemic oppression. Like, and I was 15 and I wrote that. And like, at that time I didn't really know, like I couldn't put that into words more than that song. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. now like I understand privilege and oppression. And I did not understand that at all as a teenager like not until my mid 20s did I did I really like have any type of grasp on that at all but now listening to it as an adult I'm like I'm I'm like proud of myself that I wrote that as a kid like and I was having some like deep thoughts that like <laughs> most kids probably aren't thinking about like but because being trans and being oppressed like yeah I was writing about that stuff um I'm curious to know what your favorite song is well, I mean, I don't know if it's trite, but I, I, I really resonate with the with the daughter song, um, and I think like I feel like that's I feel like a lot of people have have said that to you mm. before, maybe, but yeah. um, but I just I think especially like I'm I'm I pulled up the lyrics right now, I'm looking at it, but the the like the dad I'll always stay your little girl line, I think like to me, I'm sure that there's transphobic rhetoric that would be like, oh, so you want to be a girl, and like that's not that's not it. What I hear through that is like 
well, for, for me, what, what resonates with me and you tell me, I would love to actually hear what mm-hmm. you meant by it. But for me, what I hear is like this reverence from where I come from and the reverence that I am not a, a, a cis man. And um, there is a difference in how I think my dad is related to me versus the, my dad relating to my brother who is a cis boy, right? Um, and we are different and that's okay. And I think like I have mm-hmm. so much personal love for my childhood, my supposed girlhood and that's what i love about the song but i'm mm-hmm. i would love to hear actually more about what you meant by it um because you're the one who wrote it <laughs> thanks yeah well when i wrote it i wrote it my dad had already been now accepting me for several several years um and my dad fully accepts me accepts my transition like never messes up pronouns or my name or anything not for like 10 years or something um and I wrote it to honor his experience because I have two brothers and I was the only daughter. And when, when I transitioned, my dad had to like, like mourn that he wasn't going to have a daughter anymore. And he went through that process and I wrote the song because what, it, what I'm not saying, like I'm still, still your little girl. Cause like, I'm not, um, I don't identify like as a girl at all whatsoever, but what I'm saying in that is that I'm, I'm still your same child that you've mm-hmm. always had. Mm-hmm. And that's what that means. And it, and it, it also does honor, like my relationship with my dad is different than my brother's relationships with my dad. And that's like, and, and that relationship doesn't need to change because because I'm a man, because I'm masculine, that that relationship could remain as as it is, because all that relationship is, is love. Mm, Um, And like my dad sends me a Valentine every single year still. (laughs) He doesn't send my brothers a Valentine. It's like that dad daughter type of thing. Um, And there's no reason for me to like, be angry about that. Like, I love that he does that because it's all love and it makes me feel loved and accepted and cherished. And that's what, you know, like we all want is to feel loved. Um, So that song really just honors that my dad, me and my dad's relationship is different, but it also honors like, yes, I'm a man, but yes, I'm still the same person I've always been. I'm still your child. No matter what, I'm still your child. Mm, that makes me emotional to think about. I really, um, yeah, I really value that. I, I'm thinking of a, a moment um, with my dad about the, sort of the concept of changing relationships uh, and not changing relationships. It was like probably, I don't know, I want to say it was like eight months or so into my transition. I had, I had gotten top surgery, I was on testosterone and I had short hair. And so I was mostly being gendered as male in the world. Um, and at the time and up until this point, I was calling, I called my dad daddy because that's just mm-hmm. how I referred to him. There was no, my brother did that too, but I didn't realize that at some point he stopped that. I just didn't, I didn't notice. Um, and I would hold my dad's hand because we would walk places. I'd li- slip my arm into his or I'd hold his hand. Um, and n- none of that crossed my mind as weird. And I, there's, I have a very clear memory um, of us standing in line. It was at some, I don't know, it was like at a restaurant or something. And I, I think I had held his hand and then I said something to him and I, ref- I don't even remember what I said, but I referred to him as dad. And then I like moved on and whatever. And everybody was looking at us. 
Mm. And my dad sort of like tugged at me later. I think it was probably five or 10 minutes later when the stairs had stopped. And he like kind of like tugged my arm a little bit. He was like, hey, I just want to let you know that your brother doesn't call me daddy anymore. And he doesn't hold my hand in public. And he said it really gently. Like he wasn't trying to change what I did, but he was trying to like, like, hey, this is this is like a different norm now. Um, And I remember feeling so embarrassed and like, again, it wasn't, he wasn't trying to be unkind to me, but I felt embarrassed. I felt scared. I felt like, oh my God, what am I supposed to do? And then I felt sad. I was like really sad. Um, And it was this concept of like, does my relationship have to change? And I I wonder if you've had similar experiences as well and like how you and your dad have navigated that. It sounds like you've really found ways to, to accept how he sees you and how your relationship is. But I'm curious, you know, if you could speak more about that. My experience is very different because my, um, I don't, I guess I don't have as many of the socialization limits because I'm not on T. So I, I don't pass the majority of the time. And then if I do pass, I pass as like really young. Mm. So, um, it's, it's very different. It's, yeah, it's very different for me, I think. For any listeners, like if they don't know what passing means, could you just explain a little bit more about what you mean? Yeah, like when I'm in public, people call me she. They assume I'm I'm a female because of the way I look um, and not having facial hair, not having a deep voice. Uh, when I say I'm 29, people are like, no way, you're you're 18. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they don't they don't believe me. I haven't been able to like have the type of space that like adult cis male males have. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's made my transition very different and sure. like not, I, I can't relate as much to sure. um, guys that are on T and um, that's obviously been like a, a major, uh, it's been like a controversy in the trans sure. community sure. for me. Like I've uh, a lot of trans guys have pressured me to go on T and said like, you can't speak for the community because you're not on T and all and all of this and mm. um and I just I think that like T isn't what makes someone a man and I think that you know I I I got my top surgery and after my top surgery my gender dysphoria had eased enough that I didn't need to go on T and. Probably like once a year, I would think about like, maybe I should go on tea and I would consider it and I'd go through the therapy process and do all this. And then be like, mm, you know, I don't, I don't think now's the time. So I don't like swear off tea forever um, at all. I might go on it one day, but like for now I'm like fine like this. So I, I, I that's actually one of the first things that I learned about you actually was that you weren't on tea because I was looking for people at the time who weren't on tea, who had taught, had who had had top surgery um, because I didn't want T at the time. I was like not sure about it. And for listeners, T is short for testosterone um, and and is sometimes what trans masculine individuals like me and Ryan might take. Um, and I, you know, I think that 
um, I was so unsure about tea and, and I found you and I was so grateful that I found your YouTube account and I think maybe some other social media accounts because I was like, cool, so somebody can get top surgery and not be on testosterone because everybody was telling me you have to be on testosterone for a year. You have to like do it this way. You have to do it that way. You have to like, this is how you're a man. And I was like, but I'm not like, I don't want to do it this way. I want to do it my way. Um, and so I've, I've really loved, I watched every single one of your videos where you've talked about oh not being on testosterone, especially back then. Maybe I've missed one or two in the past like eight years but back then I watched all of the videos um and I remember one where you were like everybody stop asking me if I'm gonna go on tea yeah. like, please like if I'm gonna go on tea if I was on tea if I want tea like this is where I am and this is what I want uh and I remember you talking a lot about it also with reference to your singing um and how it's really important to you that you like the way your voice sounds with your singing mm-hmm. um and I I've always like so deeply respected respected that and loved that because what I hear through that is more of you and that's all really I think transition is supposed to be it's really us trying to be us whatever that means I'm, I'm curious how you've supported yourself through hearing all the pushback because I know that's hard mm. not only from outside the community but I, th- I think it's harder when it comes from other trans people personally definitely. so I'm curious how you've dealt with that yeah it it definitely was a lot of times it would really get me down. It was really stressful. Now I'm just like, whatever, like this is annoying. (laughs) Like, um, and I've gotten to like the level of self-confidence where it's like, whatever, like you do you, I'm going to do me. Um, and when I, a a lot of people took it like, Oh, you're saying that like your voice won't sound good. And that's why you're not on T and you're like hitting on testosterone and other trans Mm -hmm. guys. And I'm like, no, it's not about that. And like, I, (laughs) I don't I don't like my speaking voice. Like I wish my speaking voice was was low. I like I hate my speaking voice. Um but my singing voice, my singing uh singing did not come naturally to me at all. The fact that I like could sing feels like a miracle to me. And I I love my singing voice and I love using my voice and it's therapy to me. It's healing to mm. me. And I feel like if that voice were to change, whether that be a good change or a bad change, like it just it feels like it would be so different. And it it I just I don't know, it, it wouldn't like feel as healing for me anymore. And nothing matters more to me than songwriting, really. Like songwriting is what keeps me going. It's like it is like my lifeline. It's my medication. It's everything um, to me. And I think even having to pause that for six months while I'm retraining my voice, which is what a lot of trans guys need to do. They go through like a retraining period. Like, I don't I don't think I could actually like do that mentally. And so realizing that and realizing how high the stakes are for my mental health, I'm just like, OK, like it's more important to me to have this voice and sing like this than to pass 100% of the time in public. When I perform and I hear people singing along with me, that's like also healing. And it's like, it backs, it feels like it backs me up. Like, okay, like these people see me and they support me and they are fine with who I am. They're not asking me to change my voice or get facial hair or be more masculine. They're totally fine with me being androgynous Ryan. And and they still call me he and and they respect me, you know, and it, and that's empowering and it's healing. Yeah, that sounds so empowering and healing. And I think it's also about cultivating 
what what I hear is it's it's about cultivating your your own community of people who see you so that the people who don't don't matter as much. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how you do that. You mentioned that you're not that you don't get received as as your true gender when you walk around the world. You, I think you said most of the time. Um, and I wonder how you sort of protect yourself in those moments, like when you do get misgendered in public. Uh, if people assume something about you and your partner, for example, based on what they assume about your gender, like how have you how have you protected yourself against that? And what do people around you do to help support you? I'm, I'm curious about that part as well. Yeah, for the bathrooms is definitely the scariest part. So I always try to find a gender neutral bathroom. And then when there isn't one, I always have like, whoever's with me go in with me. And sometimes it's like, the situation I'm in is like, so scary that, like, I'll be in like the south at like a rest stop in the middle of nowhere, where like, if something happens, like no one's gonna know about it, you know, mm-hmm. and that's like terrifying. Sure. Um and if I'm only with um, a woman, like I'm probably going to go in with her instead of like risking my life in the men's bathroom. And it's definitely like this whole thing of like, even when I'm in the men's bathroom, like going to the stall as fast as I can, like running to the <laughs> stall, like keeping my head down, keeping my hat low. If I have like a face mask wearing that, because then they like can't tell if I have facial hair or not like walking more masculine, like over masculizing everything. And then like, if there's a ton of people in there, like I'll just wait in the stall till everyone leaves so that I could go wash my hands. Cause like, it's just like, it's too much anxiety to like, and it's because it's unsafe. Like it's literally unsafe. And that's why I have the fear. Um, I've been like chased out of bathrooms and screamed at and whatever, you know, like many, many times. Um, so yeah, having the buddy system is definitely, uh, life-changing for sure. It helps. I'm so sorry that those things have happened to you. And I, I also know that it's not uncommon for us to experience, especially like the verbal harassment and unfortunately sometimes physical harassment in bathrooms, um, which is why it always blows my mind and makes me so angry that the, the argument against us using bathrooms is that we are going to be harmful because trans people are not hurting people in bathrooms. Trans people are being hurt in bathrooms. Exactly. Um, so much more that right than, than any trans people are creating harm. Trans people are terrified of the bathrooms most of the time, at least the most trans people I know. Um, yeah. It sounds like you, you were saying that one of the ways that people can support is, is through um, buddy system. Are there other things that, you know, that your friends, your partner, um, your parents have done that have helped you in public, especially given um, the amount of misgendering that you, that you experience? Yeah, I think people that are close to me, they could tell if I start getting bothered. Like if someone misgenders me over and over again, I start to be like, uh, like, you know, I'll roll my mm-hmm. eyes or whatever and I'll start getting mm-hmm like agitated and then if i don't say something um yeah my my parents will say something or my brothers or my my band like they'll be like it's he like you know ryan uses he pronouns um or people will say things like that and i sometimes don't correct people like if i'm never going to see the person again in my life and it's just like a very short 30 second interaction I sometimes don't correct them just to like save my own ener- energy. Um, if I have more energy that day, then I then I will correct people. Um, but a lot of times it's just like I don't I don't have the energy, you know. And if it's going to be a waiter that's like 
that we're dealing with like for an hour, then I'm going to correct them because I'm not going to be misgendered every five minutes when they come to the table. But if it's like a 30 second interaction, never going to see the person again. It's like, I'm not going to waste my energy on it. Mm-hmm. How do you care for yourself though? Because I imagine it, maybe I'm assuming, but I imagine it still doesn't feel good in that moment. And I'm wondering what, like, what's the internal dialogue at, at that time? Yeah. A lot of times I'll think like, what is it? Like, cause one person will call me he, and then they'll call me she, and I'm wearing the same thing and like <laughs> acting the same way. And I'm like, what is it that you're seeing that that person's not seeing? Mm-hmm. And so I'm like thinking like, and then you start like really critiquing yourself. Like that's what happens for me. And like, I definitely still struggle with a lot of dysphoria about my body shape and, and having hips and a bigger butt and just like looking more feminine like body shape like that is like a a point of dysphoria for me like pretty much every day so it I I start like going to that place when I get misgendered and I'm like oh well maybe it's because my body looks like this and it shouldn't and I am trying to like change my inner dialogue and be like it's it's fine for my body to look like that. And it's, and it's beautiful. And definitely having like a supportive partner who tells me that like every day, like he constantly is telling me like how cute I am and how hot I am. And, and, but, and then I'm, and I'll say things back like, but, but what about like me being trans and what about like me having hips and this? And he's like, no, like that. I love that about you, you know? And it's like having that positive, um voice helps me to have my own positive voice about it so it is important to have people around you that that aren't like oh yeah you should probably get surgery for that you know like i think there's there's so much value in affirmation and i think the affirming affirmation can be affirming of needing surgery if somebody wants surgery and it can be affirming of not needing surgery or not wanting testosterone if you don't want it i think it's like both both work you know um and what i'm hearing is is that need for positive reinforcement around us especially for so many trans youth who don't have it um, I was also actually thinking because I, you know, I was on a, a men's swim team for four four years, and I heard a lot of insecurities from them actually about their bodies too. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just it's like not a trans only experience to be insecure about our bodies. Yes, I think cis people get misgendered less than trans people do on probably on average. But I guess I was just thinking to myself the sort of universality of what you just shared, which is that we all can have somebody say something that we perceive as negative or a critique about our ourselves, our bodies, and then start to dig ourselves apart. Right. Like, like, as you said, the internal dialogue didn't, wasn't like, no, you're wrong to the, to the waiter, whoever misgenders you. It's like, Oh my God, what about me is the problem. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a very common thing for us to do because we're taught, taught to like internalize it as opposed to be like, wait, no, 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 you're wrong. (laughs) Right. Um, and so I find that really powerful and it sounds like it's a very daily, maybe hourly, minutely task that you're doing of like reaffirming yourself because of the dysphoria you do experience. And that, that sounds really like empowering. It also sounds very tiring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is exhausting. I mean, it's there. I realized during the shelter in place for not not using public bathrooms for like three weeks, mm-hmm. how like rested I was mm-hmm. from not having to deal with being misgendered, um, and not having to deal with like the sh- the anxiety of the the public bathrooms, and like those three weeks off, I was like, 
wow, I get to just like exist and not have to worry about being trans right now. And that was like, I needed that. And I didn't realize until then, like, whoa, I've just been like going and going and going with my activism and trying to like educate people and like literally not taking any time for myself. Like I never used to watch TV or like Mm. anything unless it was having something to do with like work or like doing something for the movement. And I realized like those times to recharge, even if it is just watching a silly TV show, like that's that's important for the movement, too, because as activists, we need to be charged up and have enough energy to do this or else we can't do it long term. And this movement needs us long term. Like this is going to be a lifelong movement for us longer than that. Probably, you know, it will continue when we're not here anymore. And we need to have the stamina to be able to continue to do it. I so agree with you. The whole, I mean, trite, but true, uh, marathon, not a sprint. And I think like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to really like hold on to your words as you're talking. Cause honestly, Ryan, I feel very burned out right now. I feel so tired right now. Like the movement is, it's tough, yeah. right? We're really in a tough place right now. Um, so I, I want to end by asking you where you find the, the oomph to keep going. I heard it a little bit from music, but I'm wondering if there's, there's sort of, um, anything else you want to share about the, the joy, the trans joy that you experience and how that kind of propels you forwards? Well, one, like seeing all of these young trans people, seeing the next generation, like that just shows me like, okay, we were there and now we're here and now they get to be there. And like, it just shows you that like the whole thing keeps going and we get to keep mm-hmm. existing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and just seeing these young people, like they are unapologetic (laughs) and they are like they're just they're just being themselves like they're not trying to fit into stereotypes and that makes me so so happy to see and then also like the i i mean i love my life i i went through like a lot of hard times when i was was younger and and growing up and now like i have this life that i love living and i I don't even like want it to ever end, you know, I'm like, (laughs) I get to do my music and I get to play with my band and I get to have this loving partner and fiance. And I just am so surrounded by love and community and just get to do what I love, you know, and it's like, what's better than that? And I'm excited because it feels like every year more adventures happen and more excitement happens and things that I like never imagined that I would ever get to do I get to do so I'm I'm very grateful and happy about my life and that is something I never thought I would say as a trans (laughs) teenager um so it is possible I love that answer, um, especially the the just like loving your life. I think we don't get that message enough that we can love our lives, that we can be here in the future. We can get record deals. I saw that your your record deal that yeah. you know, was super exciting. I was like, I was just so Thank happy you. for you. What would you tell your younger self to sort of bolster him in, in getting here? I mean, you made it here, so you figured it out. But if you could go back and tell your younger self, I always love to hear what people have to say. When I was younger, I never even thought I would be able to get my top surgery one day. So, like, to be here now and, like, had top surgery 11 years ago. Wow. I'm just like, okay. You know, like, that happens. Um, And I never thought I would have love and, like, have healthy love. And I get to have that. So, like, I would tell my younger self, like, all of those things that you think are so 
out of reach and not possible. They're all possible. And being trans does not have to hold you back at all. It might be a steeper mountain to climb, but like you can climb it and you will have the strength and you will find the strength from your community and the people that love you and hold you up. Like we all do this together. We don't have to do it alone. Um, and we have community all around us, even if that's on the internet, like we have community all around us now. And we're, I feel really lucky that we do, we do get to have that. Cause when it comes down to it, like we all want a sense of belonging and community gives you that, that sense of belonging. That's why I wear this uh, shirt. Hold on. You belong trans flag on it. Um, but yeah, it's all about that sense of belonging. And I have that now. And I never thought I would feel that. And I feel that every single day now. Oh, that gave me goosebumps. Thank you. Um, yeah, we don't, I, I just, we don't have to do it alone. We can find that sense of belonging. It kind of goes back to that first thing you shared about realizing that you weren't alone when you, when you went alone onto Larry King and Tyre Banks and you had an uh, upwelling of people saying, Hey, I'm, I'm here too. Um, I, I, yeah, we're not alone. Um, and Ryan, you were one of the first people that made me feel less alone. So, um, I'm really grateful for your work and, uh, so super grateful you came on the podcast. So thank you so much for, for your time. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor. Where can people find you, Ryan? I want to make sure that people find you online, wherever, what, what's coming up for you and any projects you want people to make sure that they, they know about. Sure. You can find me at, um, at Ryan Casada on Instagram and YouTube and Facebook and TikTok. And I have a greatest hits album coming out on vinyl. That's so exciting. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So, um, I'm putting that out uh, with Kill Rockstars, the record label, and Daughters on that. So definitely check it out. Awesome. Thank you again, Ryan. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks again to Ryan for taking the time to record this episode together. A little while after we sat down to chat, Ryan got married in a beautiful ceremony that was actually reported on by the New York Times. There was all these lovely photos. So congratulations to Ryan and his new husband. I am so happy for the couple. Now let's get to the episode's question. How can sharing your story help others feel less alone? The first thing I want to highlight is something Ryan shared towards the beginning of the episode. He said that when he gave his first speech, he was sharing his story and he got support from the audience and that support made him feel empowered and then that allowed him to do more of the work that he's doing. The reason I start with this is because sharing our story isn't just about others feeling less alone, it's also about us feeling less alone. I always like to remind us to consider ourselves because oftentimes we forget that and we need to be ready to share our story. So even the question here that this episode is focused on, I wanna unpack that, right? How can sharing your story help others feel less alone? Let's ask the question before that, which is, are we ready to share our stories? And Ryan talked a bit about that as well. I think sometimes a lot of us trans advocates feel this pressure or sort of get put into these places or we elect to be in these places where we share our stories and then it's a lot right we become advocates very young and this is something ryan also talked about given that he had to petition to be able to even go to the bathroom in peace one of the things i heard from ryan as he shared is that also sometimes we don't have to share our stories even in the smallest ways sometimes ryan corrects other people when they misgender him and sometimes he said he doesn't and i think in my mind 
find that's a choice to share a story saying, hey, this is who I am. And sometimes it's a choice not to share our story, not to correct somebody when they misgender us because the energy is not worth it in that moment. Of course, when we do decide to share our stories, there can often be very positive benefits for others and for ourselves, right? That empowerment that Ryan felt and all the wonderful messages he received about saving other kids' lives, other people being able to see that they weren't alone, being able to empower other people while he felt empowered himself. One of the central things I took away from my conversation with Ryan was this thirst for life. And when I asked him what he would say to his childhood self, there was this disbelief that he even is in this place that he never could have ever imagined when he was a kid. And I am so excited for us to continue developing this generation of trans youth, of creating possibility for the upcoming generations of trans youth where they don't have to fear their own futures and where their imagined futures are a given. Ryan spoke so excitedly and with such passion about his own life, it was inspiring to me. I know that I and he and so many more people like us are deeply committed for that future, that present, that life to be a possibility for all trans kids. I'll see you in a couple weeks for the next episode of Dear Skylar. Dear Skylar.